it's going to be a great market to ride into early 2024. And then uh, we're going to probably have a crash in the second half of 2024 in the stock market. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with technical analyst Tom McClellan. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Tom yet, in which he explains why the Fed is engineering a hard landing that will crater the markets by October, head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment themes we discuss in this video. Tom also kindly shares his thoughts on which investing strategies he thinks will weather the coming turbulence the best. So be sure to take good notes. Okay, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Tom McClellan. We got the Fed on one side of the court, the bulls on the other. You've already called the game for the Fed, you know, for this year. <laughs> um, the Fed then probably wakes up, you know, summerish and says, whoa, wait a second here. We probably really over tightened. Uh, feels a lot of pressure, uh, probably at some point pivots. Um, all those things are not going to be market friendly. You know, I guess when the Fed announces a pivot, some things will move in response to that. Um, but 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 a lot of other things won't still because conditions will be so rocky. Um, then then maybe we do have a return to stimulus uh, second half of the year going into 2024. But 2024 does not look like a good year economically, we'll say, right? Uh, you call it a depression. Uh, if the laugh wave continues to build steam from here, it's probably chugging along still in 2024. Um, so it just looks like a rough year. Okay, so um, how do you as an investor look at how to navigate an outlook like that? Um, you want to understand what the background trend is and you want to look for opportunities to either trade with that trend or trade against it. Um, we have a, a variety of indicators and tools that we use. I couldn't bring them all here. Um, it, it, people ask me, what's your favorite indicator to use? To you? And I say, well, what's your, of your children is your favorite? Uh -huh. <laughs> we, I have to look at all of them. And, and in context, I'm looking for an important bottom to this current down move that started in February as due to bottom March 9th to the 14th. And then another bottom uh, that, that'll probably be a better bottom the first week of April. Uh, I like to say that there's, a, there's different kinds of bottoms. You can have a bottom to go down into and a bottom to go up out of, and they don't have to necessarily be the same thing. We saw that in December of 2022. And I, I confuse my readers by saying, I look for a bottom to go down into on December 19th and a bottom uh, to go up out of January 3rd to the 6th. And, and sure enough, we had a, a flat bumpy bottom that lasted from mid-December till January 5th. And, and mm -hmm. so you got to think of, of bottoms as inflection points, but you don't necessarily have to start going up again just because you reach a bottom. Sometimes a bottom is the Colorado River in, in the Grand Canyon, but sometimes a bottom is the foothills of the of the Rocky Mountains um, as you leave the as you leave the, the Great Plains. And so you got to understand what type of bottom it is. Uh, first week of April is a bottom to, probably to go up out of. For traders, uh, we don't get to an investable bottom until probably October. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, obviously, somebody who is trying to time the trades of these things, you know, that's where a service like yours really comes into play, right? That's helping them judge. Okay, as a trader, you know, where the ins and outs I want to get along the way. If you're, 
more of a regular investor who doesn't trade that aggressively. You got a real life, you know, you're not trading the tape every week. Um, sounds like you're saying, and again, this is rough data based upon what you can see right now. Again, you're welcome to come back on the channel anytime between now and then to, to update us. But it sounds like you're seeing sort of a bottoming of, of most of the major asset classes come fall as the full, uh, well, the full effect of everything that's been done to date by the Fed. We haven't really mentioned this yet, but your, your, your chart spoke to this because you had them time shifted. But there's a, there's a time lag between the enactment of Fed policy and when it actually is fully manifested in the economy. Right. So sure. we're going to be feeling the rolling effects of almost all the rate hikes that have been made so far um, for the next, you know, two, three quarters. So it sounds like you're saying, OK, you know, when that stuff's really here in force and the Fed says, oh, gosh, I made a mistake, um, it's probably when we're going to see the nadir in the markets. Well, and there's a big difference in that question in, in the way you pose the question between what the stock market does and what the economy does. So the economy is yes. still going to be awful into 2024 and perhaps beyond, depending on how long the Fed stays stupid. They're, they're stupid already. They're going to be stupid, but there's varying degrees of stupid. But the stock market can start to react ahead of that, especially if the Fed decides to do QE again, which I don't discount. They shouldn't. Uh, they, they don't think they want to now, but they, they often do things they don't want to. And so it's a, it's a strong possibility that we should be ready for. Uh, so, but if, if you're a trader, it's a great year. If you're the guy who's not the trader that you just referred to, well, 5% on a one-year T-bill is not a bad thing. So <laughs> between now and October. Uh, I just gave an alert out to our, our viewers this past Saturday on exactly that, which is given this macro environment um, where short-term T-bills are right now, uh, you finally have something intelligent to do in this market. Yeah, and money goes where it's treated the best. Uh, well, absolutely. So, um, <clears throat> all right. So uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but... Um, uh, it, well, I guess my question for you is, is, so what do you see happening to, you know, are, are there any asset classes you think are going to buck the trend of, of hurtling towards a bottom by October? Um, you know, at some point, if things get really, you know, if things really start looking like they're going off the rails, we might start seeing long-term U.S. Treasuries start to come down just from the crisis trade itself. Right. Um, so I can make an argument there that that those bonds may rise in price. I mean, hard to make a case of stocks doing anything until that bottom period or or high yield debt or you know lower quality bonds. Um, it's going to be a rough environment when you take all the money away from the banking system, as the Fed is doing, then uh, it's fine. As, it's hard to find safe places to hide where that won't be affected by that. And so I'm bearish on stocks, bonds and gold at the moment subject to change anytime I feel like it, but that's how it's portraying now. Um, I think that inflation is still with us and for a long time. And so uh, real assets are gonna do well um, in the long, in the super long run. But if you start thinking, oh, that means I should go buy a REIT, a real estate investment trust, understand, uh, and you, anybody can do this, pull up a chart of a REIT index and, and a, compare it to a chart of the S&P 500. You'll find that they do the same thing. So They're pretty yes, correlated. Your, your, your dividend payment might still be fine in the REITs, but your your capital is going to do whatever the S&P 500 does. Okay. All right. Um, and just on gold, since you mentioned it, um, we do have a lot of people on this channel who who track gold. Um, uh, 
you know, we saw in we've seen in previous entering previous um, market corrections, um, gold can often sort of sell off uh, in in the first part. Um, if if we have the type of you know of hard landing, it sounds like you think we're going to have. Do you see at some point in there after selling off that gold starts picking itself up earlier than other assets again because of the the crisis trade or sniffing out that a Fed pivot might be in place, which you would expect gold to be one of the assets to react fastest to a, a, a policy re reversal. Yes. And I would say gold overreacts fastest <laughs> because that gold tends to be more emotional. Gold is in a, today, as we're, as we're talking here in the end of February, gold is in a very, very linear downtrend. And when you see linear price trends, what that either upward or downward, that means organized buying or selling by big players. Uh, when you see choppy trends, then that means the market's seeking its its own medium. But when, it, when it's a very linear channel, then that says that the selling is organized. And that's what's happening in gold right now. I don't know who the organized seller is. I don't know why they are doing it, but it's it's happening and it's big money and it's moving. And so that it tends to persist for a while. I wish I have I could find the perfect leading indicator for what gold prices are going to do. I found an imperfect one, uh, which is a surprise. The price of uranium uh, gives about a seven-month leading indication for what gold prices are going to do, which is ridiculous. Why should that matter? But <laughs> it's only been working for about 40 years, imperfectly, uh, and uh, with noise on the chart. So it, you can't just look at uranium and say, oh, well, therefore, gold is going to have to do exactly that. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, but it's the best we got. Gold also pays attention to real yields, and right now that matters a lot. Um, when you when your money can can get treated better, earning five percent on a treasury bond versus earning nothing on gold, then money tends to get attracted away from gold and going to where it gets treated well. But that matters what inflation is going to do. But it, people who trade gold overly react to these things. So any little bit of news creates an overreaction that is far and far and away greater than what is merited. But that's the nature of the game. Got it. Um, and, and interestingly, you know, you we may get a a real return on these T bills in the not too distant future, right? With the the, the way in which they're rising and the way in which CPI is declining. Well, it depends on which inflation gauge you want to use. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, but inflation's going to be with us for a while. Uh, we're we're it's it inflation's due to have a, a minor bottom in 2025 and then bounce back up again. But inflation's going to be with us for the whole decade, right? Well, and also it'll be highly influenced by. Um, I mean, there'll be a number of factors. You know, geopolitically, trade is shifting, and you know, there's arguments to be made that that we're just going to be in a higher input cost world going forward, especially with reshoring and all that type of stuff. But also central bank policy, right? You know, if, if, if the feds have another, if fed has a, a, a massive pivot here and goes back to trillions of QE again, uh, especially if there's fiscal stimulus attached to that, that's obviously going to impact the inflation story as well. Central bank policy and also executive branch policy of governments around the world doing stupid things with energy and food prices. We're already seeing lots of stupidity with energy markets in Europe. Uh, we saw Sri Lanka go into revolution because yeah. the government decided that everybody should stop using fertilizer on their on their crops and and their their crops failed and didn't pr produce enough food for everybody. And nobody likes to be the marginal consumer of food. And so if we keep having stupid decisions 
about energy and food policy from governments that it will contribute to inflation too. Okay. Um, I had one last, oh yeah, this was just to share. I actually have a really good indicator uh, on gold, just so you know, so you can put it into your, your yeah. algorithms there. It's usually when I'm a net buyer, uh, it tends to do horribly right afterwards, just so you know. Yeah. I, I have a money management, uh, a money manager who is a subscriber for many years, and he has one client that his staff has standing orders to put through his phone calls. Whenever that guy calls, this money manager, a customer of mine, wants to know because this client is so reliably worried or ecstatic at exactly the correct the correct wrong times. Yeah. <laughs> that, that my friend always wants to know when that what guy that guy is thinking. So when, when you can find one of those assets that that is such a, a, a perfect inverse um indicator, you want to cultivate them. You don't want to tell them who, what what service they're providing. Um sometimes we have to use our own stomach acids as a contrary indicator for whatever we're doing. But when you can find those people out there that do that service for you, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. All right. Last question on gold, which is, um, you know, we we have a number of experts on this program that that bring up gold and painting with a broad brush. Um, you know, I think they they generally feel pretty bullish about it around this period that you're talking about, where you know there's a policy pivot. Um, you know, the recession hits in force, but 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 you know the authorities start to respond to say, okay, great, we got to, we got to start trying to fix this mess we created. Um, I don't know if you're as much enough of a precious metals follower to have a really strong opinion on that. But do, do you do you feel that that at that time, this would be one of the asset classes to be in that is going to respond the fastest and furthest to that sort of policy shift? You talked about it overreacting in the past. To a shift? Yes. Um, the price of anything Anything you ever want to buy, the price of anything is a ratio of money per stuff. And so if you keep the amount of gold on the planet the same, but you increase the amount of money on the planet, then the money to stuff ratio has to change. Mm -hmm. And so when you print a bunch of extra M2 and it doesn't have anything to do, then it goes into gold. And we saw a great bull market. Gold got back up to above 2000 um, a couple of years ago. And But when the money to stuff ratio starts changing the other way, and we are in a, a period that's happening right now, then the money to stuff ratio, uh, the price has to change also. At the point when M2 stops falling dramatically, it'll get better for gold. But right now, there's not excess money without something to do like buy food or buy gasoline. And so that's generally what you need in order to lift gold prices. You need money that doesn't have a mission. Okay. Um, all right. So I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm going to put some words out there and then you can clarify them any way you like. I'm trying to get to the, okay, so what, which of the average investor, you know, the folks that are watching these videos, um, what sort of insights should they take away from what you've said in terms of how to inform their investing strategies? And I would guess from what I've heard you say is, well, if you feel so inclined and, and hopefully are experienced trading, um, use a service like yours, you know, to ride these tradable bottoms and, and rallies that we're going to have along the way here. Um, if you're if you're not that type of person, you're more like a regular person who, you know, has a real life to to live and other, uh, uh, you know responsibilities and, and maybe don't have the trading experience. Um, 
then position yourself defensively at this point and then wait until this this bottom arrives and then start deploying your dry capital if indeed it sounds like hey we're getting a policy shift and and m2 is going to start growing again um uh does that sound relatively accurate so far yeah there are hundreds of academic studies that show that dollar cost averaging works you know if you put the same amount in month after month and wait 30 years it all comes out great um and so yes that is true that does work but if we want to play the game a little better then we can look for the sweet spots and try to avoid the dangerous spots and the market in 2023 is going to give us some opportunities to uh, take advantage of that if you can be nimble and can recognize it and if you can't then just close your eyes and wait 30 years okay and and if you let's say somebody goes defensive and they they load up on you know t-bills that are paying them five percent right now um do you feel that that the type of bottom that you expect later on in, in October is is one of the sort of rare opportunities we get where there's a big market turning point that you might be able to ride for a, a good cycle? No, it's going to be a great market to ride into early 2024. And then uh, we're going to probably have a crash in the second half of 2024 in the stock market. Okay, super glad I asked that question. <laughs> um, Look, Tom, we'll have you way on, uh, we'll have you back on way before then to to give us, you know, the latest of your charts and what they're saying. But is that crash because of the depression that you were talking about, or is it a, a different trigger? Different trigger. Um, I, I didn't bring a chart this time, so have me back on. I'll bring a chart next time. The stock market tends to echo the movements of crude oil prices with a ten-year lag. So what you watch what crude oil did and the, and the same dance steps show up in the stock market 10 years later. And it's only been working since the 1890s when the Dow was created. And it hasn't worked perfectly. <clears throat> it got thrown off a little bit during the Iranian revolution in 1979. And it got thrown off a little bit when Saddam Hussein uh, annexed the 19th province in, in 1990. But outside of exogenous events like that, it's, it's a great leading indication. Crude oil prices, pretty much crashed in 2014, especially in the second half, because the fracking boom happened in a big way and OPEC just couldn't hold it back anymore. And so they finally let prices crash. So the anniversary of that, the 10 year anniversary is due in 2024. And it won't be fun for stock investors. Uh, it'll be a great opportunity for traders. So if this is the time when you've always thought, well, I'm going to start sharpening my trading skills and learn how to be a trader and not just a buy and hold investor for for 10 years. Uh, this will be a great opportunity to to uh, hopefully take advantage of that. But it, all right. Uh, well, OK, excellent. So, Tom, it's a deal. We're going to have you back on um, before then and, and hopefully multiple times before then to kind of give us the, your your progressive updates along the way here. Um, super fascinating point to end on there. And I hate to end there, but we've taken way too much of your time here already. This has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you for coming on the program here. And for folks for whom this is the first time that they're getting to know you, Tom, and if they'd like to follow you and your work, um, where should they go? I think you've already shared the information earlier, but but let's put it up here again. Yeah, um, our website, mcoscillator.com. This is a contraction of McClellan Oscillator. Uh, if you can Google Tom McClellan, you'll find us. 
Uh, we have a twice monthly newsletter. We have a daily edition. We have a free weekly chart and focus uh, where you can get acquainted with the indicators that we use. No strings attached. Uh, we don't ever sell our email list to anybody. So you won't get any spam. You won't get any phone calls from signing up with us because uh, it's a golden rule thing. I don't like getting treated like that. So I won't treat anybody else that way. Come take a look. Uh, lots of free information in our learning center. All right. Um, that's excellent. Um, folks, highly recommend reading Tom's work. As I said, uh, it's just packed with data, which you can see from the zillions of charts you just walked us through earlier. Um, Tom, it's really been an honor to have you on the channel. Um, keep doing the good work that you're doing. And like I said, doors always open here to come back on. All right. Thanks. All right. Well, now is the point of the program where we bring in the lead partners from New Harbor Financial, one of the financial advisory firms endorsed by Wealthion. Uh, both to react to what uh, Tom just said, but also to talk about what the markets have been up to since last week. I'm joined as usual by lead partners, John Lodra and Mike Preston. Guys, that was a fantastic discussion with Tom. Gosh, I was so glad that he finally was able to come on this program. I totally understand why so many uh, professionals really respect him and his work here. I'm very curious to see what you guys took away from it. Mike, I know you took good notes. Let's start with you. All right. Thank you, Adam. Nice to see you again. Uh, I was really impressed by this interview. We've been following the work of Tom McClellan for a lot of years, but I've got a, a page chock full of notes. I, I guess I'll just try to to recap some of the things that I thought were really interesting. Uh, he, he believes, like so many of us do, that the Fed is pretty committed. They're pretty committed to combating inflation, and they're going to succeed no matter what. That Those were his words, and I think that's probably true. There's a lot of talk about an impending pivot or the Fed is going to reverse course as soon as there's a little bit of market weakness, we don't really think that's the case. And it seems like Tom doesn't think that's the case either. And um, we've talked about some critical levels here. I think Sven Henrik was on a, a week or two ago, talked about some critical levels that we pretty much agree with. We think those critical levels are somewhere around 3,900 on the S&P. We're at 3,945 right now. Others say 3,950. One thing you've got to remember uh, with technical analysis is you should draw lines with a pretty fat pencil or even <laughs> magic marker because these are zones, not precise points. But the market is, is definitely giving us some signs uh, that we should be cautious about. Seems like Tom agrees with that. He says the bulls don't have the Fed on their side. So yeah, just to reiterate, the Fed is pretty committed. I wouldn't rely on the Fed, not until there's much lower levels, ultimately. Uh, he says that trading will do better than buy and hold. We couldn't agree more. The S&P was down 20% last year. Bonds were down, depending upon which ones you talk about, even more. Buy and hold didn't work last year. It's probably not going to work this year. Be careful about trading if you're going to trade the dips, because we could at any moment have a real elevator drop uh, uh, you know, to the downside. So you, your plan has to keep that in mind, too. Um, you know, the, the oscillator is a pretty pretty neat tool. He talks about it being an accelerometer. It measures market breadth, but he not only measures market breadth of the S&P, he measures market breadth of a lot of different things. You know, he mentions um, the high yield bonds. You can take a look at HYG, for example, as an ETF to take a look at what the high yield or junk bond market is doing. And you know, he says that breadth is rolled over in the high yield bond market. Uh, we agree. It's just another sign of caution. What's neat about Tom and his work is it's purely technical. He talks some about fundamentals and the fact that the Fed won't quit, but he really, really is tuned into the technicals, which is a good thing to be completely unemotional. I, I wish that we could 
100% be focused on technical sometimes when the market gets crazy, but we we take into account absolutely some fundamentals, most notably valuations. But Tom, and it seems like his parents too, are, are mathematicians or scientists, and they focus directly in on, on the technicals. And I think he provides a really great service in that regard. Uh, just a couple more comments, then I'll pause. The, the Fed balance sheet is, is finally shrinking some, barely. You really almost have to squint to look at it. He put up a chart on the video that showed the other couple times the Fed tightened a little bit. Each time it's just been a little bit, followed by an immediate reversal and a panic back into quantitative easing. Don't count on that happening again. And he talks a lot about... Um, cycles we too care about cycles these things you really have to step back and look at them like the 60-year cycle of interest rates uh, which are due to top in 2040 almost 30 years from now we had the wind at our back for 30 years we'll probably have the wind in our face for 30 years and it won't be a straight line i noticed today that the 10-year bond has crossed four percent again you're going to get all kinds of wiggles uh probably in, in our opinion interest rates will come back down near term but that's more of a six-month trading idea versus a longer-term trend. The longer-term trend of interest rates seems to be up. So, you know, lastly, in terms of what, what he talks about for investments, he says that, again, it's, this is about a trading range market. If you don't want to be a trader, sit in cash and wait and watch. We couldn't agree more. That's not a bad thing to do, particularly with one-year bonds trading at around 5% on the Treasury bill. It doesn't hurt to just... Get out of the game if you're overexposed to equities. Get into something safe. Watch and wait. And we might add that if you don't have some gold, you may want to think about buying some precious metals, uh, maybe 5 to 10% of your investable assets. I know that Tom thinks that those are short-term negative, maybe, uh, with the Fed draining liquidity. However, we think it's important just to have a position. So I'll stop there and, and let you guys add some more. Thank you. All right. Um... You made some great points I want to dig into with you guys. But first, John, let's go to you and see what, what else you might add to, to Mike's observations there. Yeah, Tom, Tom's a legend in the technical analysis world. We, we've been familiar with, with his work for a really long time. And I learned something new, not just about the, the nuances of his work, but the, the story about his parents, uh, uh, both uh, analytical, mathematical minds, uh, basically being the the uh, the impetus for for what we now know as the uh, McClellan oscillator. Yeah, that was a great background story. Uh, yeah, it's, it's lo I love it. It's it's great. It's great. Uh, and Mike and I are are uh, academically, anyways. We we both are engineering uh, majors in 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 college, and I, I raise that just to um, speak or, or highlight that our our tendency, and we think it's it's one that time time honors, uh, is to rely on data, not slogans or or um, you know, uh, abandoned psychology to to really look at big picture and cycles. Um, you know, I thought it might be helpful for your viewers, Adam, to to take a step back and really just explain what technical analysis is, because it can get really esoteric and and uh, buzzwordy. And and for folks that aren't immersed in this every day, it could it could just seem like voodoo science and and uh, overwhelming. Um, you know, I'll try to simplify it. You know, basically, technical analysis doesn't doesn't really focus on the fundamentals, valuations, price to earnings ratios, things like that. What it essentially says is the price action that is in the market is the sum total of, of all the market participants' views on a whole lot of things, including fundamentals, earnings, and things like that. So, so the price itself is, and, and the trends and moving averages and all the 
you know, advanced decline lines that that go into some of the oscillators that, that Tom talked about. The price itself is the sum total of the market's uh, assessment of, of these things we might call fundamentals. And, you know, what I also like to point out is that there's a difference, and especially in bubble episodes where investor psychology can run run amok. And, and frankly, it works also in, in, in market bottoms when people are panicked and, and selling with rec reckless abandon, even though fundamental support being heavily invested. Um, it, it, it basically uh, allows for the reality that sometimes markets, oftentimes markets do something dramatically different than what they should do based upon fundamentals. You, you might call it this in, in psychological component that can get really, really out of whack in, in major uh, turning points. And technical analysis essentially allows for that. It, it says, you know what, this makes no sense, but the investing herd is saying this is what's happening. Now, the, the you know, when, when rubber meets the road, managing money for real people that have real lives and can't afford, um, you know, wagers based upon the, the sometimes uh, uh, errant psychology of the crowd, you know, Mike and I and our team and our approach really has to pay attention to fundamentals too. And 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 then the way we think about it is the technical signals that various technical indicators might might uh, issue should be tempered in some degree when things get fundamentally uh, very out of whack. You know, I like to use the analogy of of uh, of of a, a you know a, the simple act of walking on a plank that's maybe three inches off the ground. You know, the, the the challenge for most people to do that is no no big deal. I can walk on a, a six inch plank, um, six inch wide plank. And if I fall, big deal, I fall three inches, right? Now put that plank 60 stories up and that becomes a whole different proposition from a risk and consequence standpoint, even though the act of walking on that plank is really no different, assuming there's no wind and things like that. And that's the analogy I would use when, when fundamentals get so far out of whack, the consequences of these psychological indicators become so so potentially uh, uh, cataclysmic and, and damaging that we have to, so, so the simple takeaway is, you know, the portion of one's portfolio that you, one we think should put uh, with, with blind faith and technical indicators should be much smaller when, when fundamentals are, are as extreme as they have been and are presently. So I just, I just wanted to kind of provide that that perspective. Mike and I and our approach and, and our team's approach is, is always been very rooted in technicals. We just have this, we think really important challenge that we've got to temper the, the blind faith we're going to put in those signals when things are so extreme on a fundamental standpoint. Yeah, good point. You know, Tom <clears throat> said something somewhere and I can't remember if it was on camera or off, but you know, he mentioned he's a pilot. Um, and so it's like pilots have to learn to rely on their instrumentation but they also have to remember to look out the window too, right? You know, sometimes you, you just can't put blind faith in the instrumentation. You got to let your eyes actually, you know, be the arbiter as well. Um, all right. Well, look, um, you know, Tom, to your point there about, and I liked your analogy about the plank and then then raising it 60 stories, you know, in terms of the the deformation from, you know, maybe what what fair market values or true market values are. And I think that's a good analogy of, the era in which we live here, where uh, asset prices have become so deformed from fundamentals that uh, there is a much greater risk uh, of damage, you know, if, if things right size. Um, and Tom, you know, I asked him, uh, you know, do you do you just look at fundamentals or do you do you also marry fundamentals with macro? And he, he said, certainly the latter. Um, and you probably recall, you know, when I asked him 
uh, for his outlook for the rest of the year, he said, hey, look, you know, <laughs> it's like there's there's one player on the court that's you know much better than all the rest uh you know the lebron james of the 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 local basketball court and that's the fed and he said the fed is not on the team the bulls aren't on the, the team with the fed they're on the other team <laughs> so he's like it's a pretty easy bet this year you know uh who's going to win because it's it's going to be the team with lebron james it's going to be the fed um so he is perfectly willing to you know say, hey, I don't really care what the fundamentals might be saying or that the tape might be saying here if there's a fundamental imbalance like that, right? So, you know, the year that he sort of projects ahead is, uh, you know, th things are things are worse, worsening technically and who knows what's going to happen in the immediate term, although looking at his McClellan indicators, I think he said he sees a tradable bottom sort of by the beginning of April. Um, and maybe some sort of bounce from there. But then he says things are really going to roll over. And he thinks that there's going to be an investable bottom uh, around October. And so that sort of means like, look, uh, the people that want to play the volatility game, more trader types, um, there'll be opportunities to make some money between now and then. But if you're just a regular investor and you're really more concerned about preserving your wealth and and, and only really putting it at risk when the odds are really in your favor, He's saying, look, be defensive, wait for that, that trade, that sorry, that investable bottom around October, which he then expects to be coincident with a Fed pivot uh, that will then, you know, start to goose things again for a while. Um, so that seems to be, you know, the, the big thing I think for most people to be looking out for, which is okay, let me maybe play conservatively until then, then maybe get a little more aggressive after that. Um, I do want to note though that he then at the very end of the conversation said, Hey, I think things are going to be pretty bad economically from now through most of 2024, and that there's going to be a big rollover in the markets, kind of a crash. He used the word crash, sort of in the second half of 2024, right? And it's hard to be super precise projecting that far out. But I, I think the key thing to note as an investor is if you want to sort of follow his arc, it's be defensive, then deploy, you know, once the bottom's hit and, and the pivots announced later this year. But be ready to get back out of the market again in about you know six to eight months or so before you know the the, the big rollover comes along. So for you guys as money managers, Mike, I see you nodding here. Um, uh, you know, I, I, well, I, I guess I think you guys, you know, because you tend to be a little bit more on the conservative side. You know, that feels to be like a game that you're already prepped to play here. But I'm curious what you when you heard all that, what, what did you guys think? Yeah, we are prepped to play it. And it just, uh, again, points to the fact that it's more of a trading market. You know, even if we do get a, a bounce in October, you know, if it lasts six to eight months per, you know, per, per Tom's vision there, that's more of a trade really than an investment. So I think um, you may call it a tradable bottom more than an, an investable bottom. And uh, if, if Tom's right, and we think he very well might be based on valuations and, and, and just how stretched the market has been, that ultimate low out in 24 is likely to be much lower than we are here. So people that are buy and hold are going to be disappointed. And people that are sitting safely in, in treasury bills or uh, things like that are probably going to be relatively happy and be able to adapt. It really all comes down to how how quickly can you trade? You know, how can you do it with proper hedges? And we're we're certainly going to do that. We've been frustrated in the last year or so. There's been very very few chances to 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 trade unless you're looking at much tighter 
uh, ranges. We had a trip down to 35.70 on the S&P late last year. I think it was in October. That was a, a move that we traded, but all of the technical indicators at the time looked like it could have cracked wide open down to 3,200 and below. They still look that way. So each time you get these, these dips, you can put scales in, and that's exactly what we plan to do with option hedges so that if we get a further waterfall decline, we'll adjust the first layers or tranches and we'll add some more. The, the frustration in a market that goes vertical quite often like it has is that you never quite get enough scales in. And so if the future looks like ta what Tom is talking about there, and we get the first bottom, and I think he said, and I'm looking at my notes, March 9th to 14th for the first bottom, the second bottom in April, you know, then maybe a trading range after that. You know, if we get a deeper drop, maybe to 3,600-ish on the S&P, we'll be able to put something in, in terms of a hedged entry. But the technicals to me look like we're going to go straight to 3,200. So we always have to keep that in mind. So it's easy to buy the dip when in the past that the Fed has always bailed it out and we've had these vertical moves. But what happens if you commit too much? Certainly, if you're already fully committed, you can do nothing. If you buy too soon, you just get frozen. So we've got a plan and it has a lot to do with uh, measured entries and it has a lot to do with option hedges, which pay us even if we're you know, even if we're early, if we buy and the market doesn't bounce and goes sideways, we make money on that entry because we collect premium on the option hedge. If it goes lower by, let's say, 100 or 200 S&P points, we get downside protection. Now, clearly, if we get a crash after, after the first tranche or two, we're going to have losses on those first tranches. But we've got a lot of dry powder. Right now, we've got 40% or so cash equivalents through uh, treasury bills. We only have about... 5% or so net stock market exposure when you when you look at all the you know when you look at what we have in place we haven't made a lot of big moves in the last month or, or two all we've really done is we've added a little piece of commodities exposure about 3% a few months ago we added some emerging market bonds that got really really hammered last year but we haven't made any any big moves and one thing that we tell people that we talk to both on the phone and on these videos is that we'll broadcast what we're doing so you'll know. But uh, this little 5% or so pullback in the last week or so hasn't given us quite any opportunity yet and we haven't made any major changes yet, but we'll be looking to trade it when it does. All right, great. And I wanna, I wanna reiterate a point you made a few minutes ago, which is um, we've had several technical analysts on the program recently, in particular Sven Henrik, who kind of defined his battle zone of control uh, that he thought the bulls and bears were locked in and said, hey, look, you know, it's it's, it's going to be key to see what happens here when we break out of the zone. Um, either the S&P 4000 is going to serve, used to be a ceiling, now going to serve as a floor. And if the S&P bounces off of that, then it seems to give a pretty green light for it to race up to 4,300, 4,400. But if it punches below 3,950, um, then he doesn't see too much support for it until down around 32, 32, right? And you were you were giving a similar level there, Mike. Um, and I just want to remind folks, you said this earlier, um, the S&P has been kind of weakening of late. And as, as we're talking, it's now below the 39.50 level. It was below there the other day. It managed to close above. Um, so what really matters is if, if we close below it and, and maybe close below it for a couple of days, then the odds of much lower prices become a lot higher. So it seems like 
we may not have that long to wait to see exactly what's going to happen here. Um, but nobody has a crystal ball. So when we have you guys back on next week, in the weeks after, we'll be giving people um, real, real-time updates. Yeah. John, coming back to you. Um, so one of the charts that really kind of caught my attention was his chart of the cyclicality of interest rates um, and was showing that that we were sort of late to start the current upcycle that we're in in interest rates. And in some ways, it's kind of interesting how uh, you know the, the 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 charts seem to be true to life. Where you know we've seen this massive uh, spike in interest rates recently, and you know we can rationalize it by saying, okay, well that was the Fed policy decision based upon you know factors X, Y, and Z. Or you can just look at his chart and say, oh well, we got a late start, and this is just catch up. Right. You know, it's, it's almost the chart <laughs> proving itself here to a certain extent. Um, and of course, you know, we're bouncing sort of off the, the record low bottoms of interest rates that we've had, you know, up until recently. Um, there's still, if I remember, something like 17 years left in this current up cycle. So, um, you know, I'm curious your thoughts on if we indeed have a secular rising interest rate environment for the next decade and a half, what that's going to do to asset prices. Yeah, that I mean, if I, we could pull up a chart right here, but I'll just describe it. The If you look at and his chart spoke that, you know, you look at interest rates over the last 40 years, they've pretty much just gone down. Obviously, there's been some spikes along the way, like we've seen over the last year, uh, both in the short term, but but also in, in the longer term rates. So you look at where the 10-year uh, treasury bond is right now, which is not directly controlled by the Fed. It's certainly not in their federal fence target rate, but certainly in some of their open market buying and selling of, of bonds. And they're, you know, obviously in the phase of trying to, to start to sell off bonds from their balance sheet. Um, but, um, you know, those have spiked pretty, pretty dramatically. Here's the thing. I, I agree that, um, you know, we're probably in a cycle of, of higher for longer. Um, but the, in our opinion, the danger of thinking about things in, in those long-term cycles is you miss um, the finer details of the tradable, uh, you know, gyrations along the way, and and that's what we think is going to be really important in the in the years to come. This idea of this passive uh, prevailing trend that lasts decades, uh, like we've seen over the last forty years, certainly with interest rates, we don't think it's likely to be the converse to that for the next, you know. 40 years. And in other words, we don't think it's going to be a steady um, rise almost without, uh, you know, pause of, of interest rates. Uh, in fact, because of, you know, the debt loads and there's a lot of damage that will, will, will wreak, uh, will, will be wrought uh, by, by such a rise. So, so, you know, we think that big picture view is probably the accurate one that we're going to see a higher for longer, but we have absolutely no doubt that there will likely be um, powerful retreats in those interest rates along the way, even if the, the longer term trend. And, is, and that's that's the opportunity that we think exists in the years to come. So we absolutely be, believe that there'll be opportunity to buy, you know, bonds, even corporate bonds high and maybe even junk bonds on on some spikes uh, along along the way, obviously with position size being a, an appropriate thing. But yeah, we're in a completely different regime. And I'll, I'll, I'll revert back to a recent commentary by one of the legends in the bond market, Howard Marks. Uh, he he, um, he said that he's only seen, seen three sea changes in his 50-year career in financial markets. And, and one is the, the sea change from four decades of declining interest rates to a, a, an era that will likely be, you know, kind of the opposite of that. 
Um, yeah, and I really want to underscore this for people. <clears throat> um, not saying this with certainty, but to your point, um, you know, for the the couple of decades that have preceded where we are, right, where it was riding the down cycle in interest rates, um, it was like having this tailwind, you know, at the market's back, right? That that with with few examples, um, it was it's been easy to generate a, a, a favorable and consistent return from the markets, right? Going forward with a secular rising interest rate market, that becomes a lot harder. It becomes like having a headwind in your face for the next 17 years, right? And so who knows exactly what the market's going to do, but the likelihood of it being more of a sideways market uh, is a lot higher, right? And, and we've talked about uh, charts like the ones that John Hussman, you know, put together, puts together that talk about how the likely market returns over the next, can't remember if he does it over 10 years or 12 years, but it's it's below zero, you know, from his calculations still, right? And so this again is is underscoring the importance of active management versus passive management, which we've talked about a lot recently on the program, but just, just to make sure people really understand it. Um, it it's kind of easy to be right and to feel smart um, in a market of declining interest rates um, because you can just ride that tailwind, right? And so you can be passive. You can just sort of throw your capital into, you know, whatever ETF and, uh, you know, you can just you can just ride it largely, right? All, all boats rise in that type of environment. Um, the one in which we're going into now, totally different story. So as you said, you know, John, you, you kind of have to ride the cycles within the trend, right? So you have to know when things are getting overbought, when things are getting undervalued. Um, you have to really do a lot more of your due diligence. You just can't buy the full sector and expect it to rise. You have to really identify the good companies within the sector and, and you know isolate those guys and invest in those and, and avoid the chaff. Um, you're nodding as I'm saying all this, John, but I, I really just want to underscore this for people because to your point about Howard Marks, it really is like a sea change. It's like you need a totally different playbook than the one you had before. So if you're holding on to the playbook of the past 20 years and using that to navigate going forward, you're highly likely going to be disappointed because it's just not going to apply in this new world. Yep, uh, we think that's really the case. You know, uh, th this this won't be an easy environment, but it doesn't mean hard doesn't also, uh, sometimes hard can be where the opportunities uh, can 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 arise. And that's that's certainly... Uh, what our intent with an active tactical approach is is it's meant to make make lemonade out of out of lemons and and uh, you know for example Mike talked about our option overlay strategies that can you know not only buffer downside but provide additional sources of income in a sideways training market um, there's no free lunch uh, you give away some upside when you when you start to do some of those option strategies depending on, on the specific strategy but it's all about balancing those opportunities and, and risks. Okay. Um, well, as we begin to wrap up here, guys, I want to um, <clears throat> just underscore uh, some news out today, which is that um, uh, Fed uh, executives, uh, Neil Bostic and, and Neil Kashkari, um, they uh, just came out and said, hey, you know, we think that rates need to go higher uh, after, quote, concerning inflation and jobs data. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, um, one of the big things that that we've been watching since the beginning of this year is is the market desperately trying to either ignore the Fed's direction um, or pretend like the or believe that the Fed is not going to be able to deliver on its higher for longer plans. 
Um, but given a lot of the recent data that that's come in, um, particularly relatively recently, the CPI print, which came in a little bit higher than the market was expecting, um, but other other data that's showing continued weakness in the economy, um, while jobs still hang in there, <laughs> um, uh, it, it it seems the market is finally beginning to say, hey, you know what? Like, I, I think higher for longer really is going to be the reality for at least a good while here. And, you know, therefore, we're probably going to have to start repricing our enthusiasm downward a bit. And that's probably what's driving a lot of what we're seeing today here. Um, but I just want to underscore here, because we've been tracking this on a week to week basis, um, you know, it does seem like higher for longer has the upper hand here right now. And um, if the market does indeed sort of capitulate and, and give up its hopes for a, a short term Fed pivot, um, that again could be another condition under which we could see a pretty quick repricing in the market, you know, that would justify maybe that that drop down to 32, 32 that we were talking about earlier. Um, all right. Well, as we wrap up here, I got a couple quick things I want to remind folks about. One, uh, the Wealthy on uh, March conference is now just a couple of weeks away. Um, that's going to be on Saturday, March 18th. And if you have yet to buy your ticket for that yet, uh, highly recommend you do because the early bird price discount expires at midnight this Sunday. Um, reminder for folks, if you can't watch the event live, don't worry. Everybody that registers is going to be sent replay videos of all the presentations as well as all the live interactive Q&A. Um, we just uh, locked in uh, Mike Leibowitz, who's going to uh, talk about bonds there. So uh, we pretty much rounded out the full roster at this point, and it's a, just a great uh, lineup. I'll let you guys uh, read it at the uh, the conference page. Um, and I do want to remind folks, if you didn't hear me say last time, um, I had to record early Rick Rule's presentation. And if you are looking to walk away from this conference with a list of stocks that great experts like Rick uh, think highly of and are burning brightly on their radar screens, you will not be disappointed. <laughs> Rick just gave it uh, overshared uh, in terms of the, the companies that are at the top of his list. Uh, it's a phenomenal presentation. And that alone is well worth uh, the price of the conference. And of course, we've got a murderer's row of other great experts there along there with Rick. Uh, so make sure you go register if you haven't yet over at wealthion.com slash conference. Um, and, uh, you know, look, Tom did a great job of talking about all of the uncertainties and twists and turns that this market's likely to take. Uh, very few people, I think, uh, have the ability to be the type of trader that Tom is in this space. Uh, if you are, if you aspire to be, obviously, then go subscribe to Tom's newsletter. It's it's really incredibly valuable for people who have that interest and that skill set. Um, but if you don't, um, you know, Tom did a great job, I think, of of underscoring the reasons why you want to be working with a professional financial advisor who understands the issues that he talked about, who, who do look at both the macro and the technical landscape, can help you design a personalized portfolio strategy to navigate what's coming, um, but also to be your quarterback in executing against that. So if you have a, a good advisor who's great at doing that for you currently, phenomenal, stick with them. But if you don't, or if you'd like a second opinion from one who does, maybe even John and Mike and their team there at New Harbor Financial, schedule a free consultation with one of the financial advisors that Wealthion endorses by filling out the short form at Wealthion.com. Doesn't cost you anything, no commitment to work with these guys. Uh, they just do it to help as many people as possible get prudently positioned for what they see coming ahead. Mike, I'll let you have the last word here as we uh, as we clock out for this week. I know you guys talk to tons of people every week about this. 
Um, what's your parting advice for folks that uh, have just listened to this conversation with Tom and are thinking like, wow, that seems like a really uh, rocky future ahead? Yeah, just take um, the words of advice as a, wor a word of caution in general. You know, Tom does talk about the ability to trade. Most people we talk to either don't have the ability to trade or don't want to. And uh, you do get paid to wait now. Most, most assets are in retirement plans. I, I don't know the exact number. If I had to put a number on it or a percentage, I'd say that a good 70% of the assets that people have that we talk to them about are in retirement plans. You can reallocate within that plan to either a short-term money market fund or a stable value fund in the 401k and get usually more than 4%, even in money, most money markets these days. So reallocate, get your equity exposure down. We're less concerned about bonds here after their sell-off the last few months, six months, but certainly equities. We're seeing a lot of people still with uh, equity allocations of 70% or more. Think about getting that down to 30% or less. Move to something very safe like short-term money markets. And it's probably going to be a rocky year. Nobody knows exactly what's going to happen. Um, gold and silver have had large pullbacks. If you've got the opportunity to buy that, I'll reiterate the advice to get a position in gold and silver. Mining stocks look like they're very attractive values as well. And um, as usual, we're happy to talk to anybody that uh, we, we have the pleasure and the privilege to talk to. And we're giving out lots of advice like this these days. There's less concern in the market now than there was a few months ago. But I don't think that means it's less dangerous. Probably it means that we might be closer to a turn. So I guess I'll uh, I'll leave it at that and uh, say thanks for the opportunity to be here with you on this platform. We look forward to seeing you next week and at the conference, the Wealthy Young Conference on March 18th. Thanks. Yeah, I'm getting excited. It's, it's coming up. All right. Well, folks, thanks for watching this week. Um, if you'd like to see Tom back on the program, as well as other great minds like him, please support this channel by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. John and Mike, guys, thanks again for joining me this week. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching. Thank you, Adam. We'll see you next week. And thanks, folks, for watching. See you later, Adam. And thank you, everybody. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type, the kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. 
Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right. With all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.